everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. It's so good to be back. I love not having to commute into church and just driving around the corner. Always never going to turn down those opportunities. That's always really good. Well, but more than that, I really am just happy to be here and uh, get the opportunity to just to talk about God's Word with you. And one of the joys that I have... Um, I've always told people this. I don't feel like I have a gift for preaching. You know, it, it just sometimes comes naturally for people. But my joy uh, in doing something like this just becomes, uh, it comes out of the love that I have of reading God's word. And the things that I learn, I love to share with people. And that's all of where it comes from. And so hopefully uh, you will become excited and you'll just love what we're going to be uh, studying today uh, through God's word. So thank you all, everybody, for coming. We're so glad that you're able to be here. And hopefully everyone's having a good week and not too sad that the weather is, is considerably colder. And last night there was an intense thunderstorm and light. There was one big bolt of lightning. I don't know if anyone saw that. That was amazing. I was like, wow, where was going on? So uh, we're going to get into right into our sermon this morning. And uh, if you need a Bible, uh, our ushers are happy to help you with that. If you just raise your hand, uh, they'd be happy to lend you one. And then you can just leave it beside you uh, at the end of the service. And for notes, if you don't already have one, there's uh, notes that you can follow in the bulletin and you can use that. Or if you're tech savvy, or this is how you prefer to do it either way, you can follow it on our Uversion app. If you go to the Uversion app and look up live events, you can search Portico, and you can follow along by typing in the sermon notes there. So a couple of ways that you can keep track uh, with what we're talking about this morning. So the past two months, we've been doing a, a series based on a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we've called this sermon series Life Rhythms. And so over the past two months, we've been talking about um, looking beneath the surface. We've talked about breaking the power of the past, pushing through the wall, good grief, staying in tune, and loving well. One of the things that uh, we've learned over the course of these two months, uh, we've been having conversations with people as they've been studying this, as they've been tracking along with the sermon, and uh, our small groups especially have been really excited about the things that they've been talking about and the things that have been coming out of their discussion time. And um, even just let me pause here, uh, my role at the church has changed a little bit, and one of the things that I'm excited about now is I'm responsible for small groups of the church, and that covers all of our campuses. I'm really excited about it. I've been learning a lot of new things. I've had the opportunity to travel and be under Pastor Jeff's tutelage for the past year, and now that I've kind of taken it over myself, I'm looking to grow it, and one of the things I'm really excited about are our small groups here in Milton. Uh, we have CLG Experience that takes place here on a Wednesday night. We have Mark and Arlene that meet on Thursdays. We have Leslie and Stuart who lead one on Thursdays as well. We have Andre and Doreen who lead one on the first and third Fridays of the month. And we also have Rena who's going to be starting up a group soon, which is really exciting. So we have groups that are just coming up. And if you're not part of one already, I really want to encourage you to be part of that. One of the things that uh, I've been learning over the years, uh, I've been part of different churches, you know, where I grew up and also serving. Uh, small groups were always kind of a part of it in some form or fashion, but it was never really done as well as it was here at Portico. And I'm really excited about that because in a church our size, it's easy to just kind of be um, happy and okay with just showing up to church on a Sunday. But if you're part of a small group, if you're part of one of our community life groups, the growth that happens there 
is amazing. You study God's word together, you grow in fellowship together, and not only that, it's not just about getting together and studying God's word. You get to serve together. You get to look for opportunities in your community to come and do stuff together. So let me encourage you. I'm not biased even though I'm in charge of it. If you're not part of a small group, hopefully you can be part of one. And if you're looking for one, if none of these five groups work for you, come talk to me. We'll create a new one for you. We'd be happy to do that. So let me kind of get into this by uh, talking about something I've experienced over the years. How many have ever been on a church retreat before? Anyone done that? Okay, a few of you, very good. So one of the things I discovered was I loved church retreats. Church retreats were amazing because you got together, uh, you were doing worship, you had lots of fun activities, usually on a Saturday afternoon, there was free time, and so everyone was playing sports, and when you came out of, you know, usually Saturday night was this big revival, renewal kind of service, and then Sunday, everyone was so happy and passionate, and you go home, and everyone's really thrilled about having been away for the past two, three days, and everyone's really good about it. But what I noticed was, after a week or so, that kind of spiritual high seemed to kind of die down. And after I noticed that, I tried to, you know, put some thought to it. I wondered, why is it that, you know, something that is as good as a church retreat where everyone goes away and so many good things happen, why is it that we kind of tend to crash after that? And the, the, the idea that came to me was this, you know, on a weekend, when you go away and you've created that time and space for yourself, and it's not being interrupted by anything else, and you're surrounded by other Christians, and you're studying God's Word together, you're worshiping together, you're having fellowship together, and you're doing all these great things. In those three days, you're doing something that is incredible for your spiritual life and for your personal life. So it's no wonder that you're going to be doing, that it's going to feel so good coming out of that weekend. But then what happens? We come back and Sunday night, we, we're already thinking about school the next day. We're already thinking about work the next day. We're thinking about, okay, what meals do I need to prepare? Uh, who am I going to hang out with? What are the things I'm going to do? And, and just like that, life kind of gets in the way and, and we fall out of that pattern that we were in over those few days of the retreat. And so instead of this great thing that we established over the retreat, we end up falling apart. All that kind of falls apart, and, and we're back to the same old stuff that we do. And I feel like uh, an image that kind of helps, uh, helps us understand that is this. It's a trellis. I don't know if many, some of you may have this at your homes or not. Not really sure. But a trellis is this wood framework and allows uh, plants to kind of grow over it and help it, it be established as it's growing there. Now, a, a trellis, uh, no, a plant, sorry, a plant will grow. With or without a trellis, that plant is going to grow. It's going to do its best to expand itself and, and try and be fruitful and multiply. But what a trellis allows this plant to do is it allows it to um, showcase its beauty because it grows in the midst of a bigger plant. When this trellis is there, you probably have other plants, and because it's able to grow up, it, it's allowed to kind of uh, step up over all these other plants that might be in your garden. It allows direction. Uh, it provides direction. Rather than just kind of growing out in any which way, it's growing up and allows you to kind of establish it like that. And then there's also stability and strength. What might otherwise be a weak plant that would fall under the weight of the wind, once it's kind of intertwined itself in the trellis, it's firm, it's rooted, it's established. And so it kind of reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said uh, about this, this idea of being rooted and established. He talks about something called the rule of life. So let me read it here. It says... A rule of life is an intentional pattern 
of spiritual disciplines that provide structure and direction for growth and holiness. A rule establishes a rhythm for life in which uh, it's helpful for being formed uh, by the Spirit, a rhythm that reflects a love for God and respect for how He has made us. The disciplines which we build into our rhythms of life help us to shed the old self and allow our new self in Christ to be formed. So taking it back to the sermon series we've been doing for the past two months, think about all the things we've been studying, uh, looking beneath the surface, breaking the power of the past, pushing through the wall, good grief, staying in tune, loving well, all these great things that we learned. It's kind of like the retreat. Unless we take the opportunity now to establish the things that we've learned, it's going to feel great. Wow, we just had a great two-month series. But unless we do the work to establish in our lives, all of this is just going to fall away, and we're just going to go back to doing what we did before. And we're just going to learn the same lessons, we're going to go through the same problems, and we're going to deal with it in the same way. Now is the opportunity to root these things in our lives, to help them be established, firmly established in what we're doing. You know, we're not going to bear fruit unless we build the structure, like a trellis, into our lives and establish and root everything that we've learned. Uh, When you think about the first century church, uh, they were kind of in the same place where we find ourselves today as we're kind of thinking through the sermon series. You know, Jesus had turned their world upside down. By all these things that he was changing about the way they thought about religion and faith and a relationship with God. And so the first century church was presented with this new paradigm, this new model. And what did they have to do? They had to figure out a way to to establish this relationship with God that they now had. So let's look at what they did to do that. Let's look at what they did to establish it. So to do that, our key text this morning is going to be found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It reads like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when we read this passage here, uh, there are four things that we can see uh, that kind of create this framework for what the life in the early church looked like. Uh, We have been thinking about emotionally healthy spirituality. It's this idea, this concept. Well, I want to move that from not just spirituality, but a healthy uh, emotionally healthy uh, Christ follower. That's what I hope that each and every one of us will become. And the rule of life uh, that they lived is explained by learning, uh, by seeing how they learned from Jesus. So these four things, let's kind of take a, a moment now to, to study what it is that they were doing in their lives here in the first century church. Number one was teaching. Number one was teaching. Acts chapter 2, verse 46a, right at the beginning, uh, what we were talking about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. <clears throat> and in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 13, this is a letter that Paul writes to one of his apprentices, Timothy. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public teaching of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So in both of these verses, there's a, a word here I want to I wanna make sure that we kind of understand or, or really uh, look at. Devote. Devote yourselves uh, to public reading and teaching and preaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This word devote is such a strong word. 
It's not just this, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll do it if I feel like it, if it kind of fits into my schedule. No. Devotion is this just intense focus. It's this passion. It's this commitment that is expressed in that word. And so when you think about your own life, where do you stand with your devotion to Scripture and to preaching and to teaching? Do we really approach the Bible with this level of importance? See, the first century church had a commitment to consistent biblical teaching, but it's not enough to read the Bible on our own, you know, our, our personal devotions. The reason is this. We may think, well, you know what? I don't need to go to church. I don't need to do any of this, that stuff. I can read the Bible. I have a copy of that on my own at home. I'm just good like that. Well, the problem is if we don't allow others to speak into our lives, if we don't allow others to teach us what the Word of God says, it's very easy for us to misunderstand what the Bible says. You know, even for myself, I went to school to study what the Bible says, and I'm still learning. There's still things that I don't fully understand. And so if I were just to approach my own personal devotion time with just what I thought the Bible said, I'm, I'm sure of it, that I would misunderstand so many things of it. And that's my fear and that's my warning for all of us is that we should never kind of exist in a bubble when it comes to our study of God's word. We should be willing to listen to other people's point of views. We should be willing to listen to uh, what Pastor Rick says on a Sunday morning. We should be willing to allow those teachings to bring life to what the scripture uh, says to us. These corporate or these group teachings um, have history. They have research. They have trusted study behind it. Um, it reminds me of when I was in elementary school, especially in high school. Uh, we were learning the, the techniques of writing a good essay. And I remember something that just kind of clicked in my mind when I was thinking about it. I hated writing essays. I don't know if anyone here does. I've kind of grown to like writing because it's easier than a math problem. At least I have X number of words, a thousand words to kind of try and persuade someone that I think I know what I'm talking about, as opposed to a math problem where it's pretty straightforward. You either know it or you don't. So essay writing, I kind of grew to love. It was my opportunity to try and explain. And in an essay, it's pretty straightforward how to write a good one. In an essay, you can't just say, this is what I believe because it's what I believe. You can't write an essay like that. And no one is going to put any weight or any value into what you say just simply because I believe this because I believe it. No. You can have a point. You can have a thesis. You can have an argument. But it has to be backed up by something else. It has to be backed up by uh, uh, research and by other testimony. And that is what adds value. That is what adds credence to what you say in an essay. And so I think it's kind of the same way when we think of Scripture. We can't just say, I believe in Scripture because this is what, how I read it. No. If we're willing to allow other people to speak into our lives, if we're allowing other people to show us what God's Word says, that is what adds value. That's what adds credence to, to our study of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, even continues with this idea about the importance of what Scripture is and how it can be in your life. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I think it's good to be reminded that the Bible is what sets context of our worldview, not that our worldview sets context for, um, for what the Bible says. In other words, the biblical world, having a biblical worldview helps us interpret life in light of Scripture, not vice versa or not the other way around. It's about having a Christ-centered interpretation of Scripture because people can mis, uh, mis, have a misperception about what the Bible is. People, if depending on their experience with it, will probably think the Bible is just a book of do's and don'ts. That's what they think that the Bible is about. 
But what Paul was saying here in this verse is that, no, it's not just about, you know, God is saying you're allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. The Bible is so much more alive than that, so much more rich and vibrant. It's about teaching. It's about learning something to understand. It's useful for rebuking. It tells us when we do something wrong. It's about correction. It tells us what it is, what is right instead. And then it's also helpful for training. Not only does it tell us what's right, but how to do what's right. So one of the things that we learned from the first century church about how they established themselves was teaching. The second one is fellowship. Second thing that they did well was fellowship. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45 from our key passage says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. And if you read uh, a couple chapters later, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. I think one of the things I realized when I was reading this and, and preparing was, I think for myself, I don't know about you, but I think for a long time I've had a shallow understanding of what fellowship really means. When we talk about Christian fellowship, uh, for myself, I was thinking of it just getting together and hanging out. It's about the, the community aspect of being together. But what I've realized reading these passages here is that fellowship is not just about have spending time together it's about a shared life and i think that is so much deeper and richer but the idea of that about not just hanging out together once a week or coming together on a sunday morning but that it's so much more than that it's a shared life that the idea of that the the potential of that is kind of scary when you think about it right because to share your life with someone what does that require it requires vulnerability it requires trust I don't know if you remember the trust fall uh, that we were explaining uh, not too long ago. It requires transparency. It requires all these things in order for a shared life to be successful. But it is successful if we honor one another, if we don't judge, if we don't gossip, and instead we support one another and we love one another. If we're willing to engage in that deep a relationship with each other, that is what true fellowship can be. And so uh, I think of it as, you know, how we, the, the concepts of raising a family. This is a conversation that Ruby and I have had, especially now that uh, Hannah has been born and we're a few months into it. And we've been thinking about those times where we've been, you know, at home. And, uh, you know, for example, I'm at work during the day, Ruby's at home on mat leave. And, you know, Ruby does such a great job. I, I admire her so much. And, you know, even in those times where we come together in the evening, you know, we're on our own. And there are times where Hannah, trust me, has been so good. I, I hear the horror stories of how bad it can be. I feel that we have been fortunate and blessed that Hannah has not given us too hard a time. But even in those moments where, for example, last night it took us four hours to put her to sleep, she was just not falling asleep. And you think about those times where over the course of time, whether it's weeks or even months and even years, as you hopefully maybe have more children, all these different things. I imagine there are moments where you're just like, I wish I could take a break. I wish there was someone else here to just, you know, give me a pause, give me a moment to breathe and relax. And I feel like it's something that we've kind of lost in our Western culture. We do life separately. We do our lives alone. And 
we do it because, well, we like the idea of our privacy. And, and I can respect that. I, I, you know, I appreciate my privacy. It's nice that you know, I don't have to worry about you know, 10 other people in my family. I remember what it was like when I was still living at home that you know, I had to be accountable to my parents. My parents always had to know where I was, and I hated that. So I remember thinking, oh, I cannot wait until I leave home. I get to do my own thing. And I remember those first few weeks and months, I was like, ah, oh, this is the life. I don't have to be accountable to anybody. But what we lose when we start to isolate ourselves is the idea of the support structure that comes when we share life together. And we've talked about that. We thought, you know, what would it be like where, yeah, we would lose our privacy, but how awesome would it be where, you know, just in those moments where we need a break, there's three, four, five other people in your home who can, you know, they're, they're, like, uh, they're like a relief pitcher. They just come in, take an inning or two from you and just give you that break that you need and that pause, which you don't get if you're by yourself. There's no way that when I'm away at work and Ruby is on her own that she can just take a break. No, she's got to be on. And so this idea of shared life, maybe if we start to embrace it in some of its aspects, we start to see the value coming out of it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 20, uh, to 25, the beginning of verse 25, says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. You know, what's worth noting here is that it's the pursuit of love and good deeds that is the point of what uh, Paul was trying to say here in, the, in, in Hebrews, or, in, or the writer of Hebrews was trying to say. See, fellowship here is not the point. It's not the, the goal. It's the byproduct. If you are willing to love well, if you're l- willing to serve and do good deeds, the byproduct of that is fellowship. And so it reminds me of a story that I heard many years ago. There was a person who was new to a church, and it started coming out and was just so active and involved in the church. Uh, but after a, few, after a little while, the pastor noticed that that person wasn't around on a Sunday morning anymore. And so it became conspicuous, and so the pastor made it a point to go and visit this person. The person was, you know, invited the pastor in. The pastor was trying to talk to this person and just trying, you know, find out what was going on. They just weren't really feeling church and just felt like they could do life on their own. And no matter what the pastor said to try and convince this person, no, in fellowship and life together and, and uh, sharing with one another was really where you get the true value of the Christian experience, nothing really kind of clicked with this uh, churchgoer. Anyway, as it happened, as they were talking in this little living room, there was a fireplace that was kind of burning. And the pastor got up and had an idea, went up and took the tongs uh, for the fireplace and grabbed one of the burning embers and uh, that was in the hearth there, in the fireplace, and grabbed it and just put it off to the side, still in the fireplace, but just off to the side, not in the midst of the fire. And what happened was, you know, that little burning ember continued to burn, and they watched it. And as the fire continued to blaze nice and healthily, after a few minutes, that burning ember started to dim, and more and more and more until it burned out. And on that moment, without the pastor saying anything, that churchgoer got it. He understood. You know, you can think you can do life on your own, but it's when you're part of a greater fellowship, it's when you're part of a community that your fire continues to burn bright, where you continue to have that strength and energy to kind of do things and just to move forward in your relationship with God. And in those moments, not even thinking spiritually, but even practically in those days where you just need a helping hand to know that you have a community of brothers and sisters, where you have friends that are part of your church or part of your small group, you can turn to. That's what it's like. 
you don't feel like you're that burning ember that's been taken and removed from the side because that's really what ends up happening. So we've talked about fellowship. Uh, we've talked about teaching. The third thing I want to talk about is the breaking of bread. This is the third thing that ch- the church did. They were breaking bread together. Acts chapter 2, verse 46b. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know, in, in Jewish tradition, uh, a meal always begins with one person giving the blessing, breaking bread, and then giving thanks to God for, for provision. And here, Jesus was giving a blessing and providing provision. Uh, in Luke tw- uh, chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, it says this about what Jesus was doing. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took uh, the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When they were celebrating uh, this meal, they were celebrating Passover. And in case you didn't know what Passover was, Passover was a remembrance meal. It was a meal that they remembered about what happened many generations ago when the people of Israel were in Egypt. And it was a moment in their history where God literally passed over Egypt and passed over the homes of those who had done an animal sacrifice and and put blood on the doorposts of their door. And God passed over them. And for the Egyptians, the firstborn children, the firstborn sons, had all died in this Passover. And so God literally passed over them. And, And as a remembrance of what God had done, this amazing miracle they celebrated this meal and they they had this meal together. And so through the generations, Passover was celebrated to remember what God had done. Now, this was a historically, an historically significant event that now Jesus was making spiritually significant. You know, both those who were eyewitnesses to the event and those who followed uh, could experience the importance of what was taking place. Now, even if you weren't part of the Passover, even if you weren't part of the Last Supper there with Jesus, when we take part in the cup and in the bread, we now get to be a part of what was happening there. And I feel like this is about God bringing a community into community with him. It's not just about doing life, but when we remember and when we celebrate the Lord's table, it's not just about a community, but we come into community with God. You know, uh, when you look at some of the letters that Paul wrote, uh, even in the Corinthian church, and here in, um, there's a famous passage in, in Corinthians, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Paul was trying to admonish the people there because they were taking the, the Lord's table lightly. They were gathering together. Some people were eating at one point and while others were starving. <coughs> and Paul was upset with them. He was speaking to them about it. And, he, and what was happening was, these people were destroying the community that God was trying to establish. Here was this great, wonderful moment that people could share in by breaking bread together and sharing the cup together, and people were destroying what it was. And so we need to remember that when we celebrate communion together, it's not just a touch point in the middle of a service. This is something that we do as a community. It's a community moment. And this was a meal. You know, when it was practiced in their day, it was part of a meal. Here we do it because it works in our context to, to enjoy together as part of a Sunday morning. But imagine doing this in a meal. That's what it was part of. As they ate bread together, they remembered what God had done. When they drank the cup, that's what they did together. <clears throat> in uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 35, it says, uh, we hear the story about uh, two people uh, who were on the road to Emmaus, and they walk with Jesus. They don't know who he is until 
something profound happens. God, or Jesus breaks bread with them, and the verse goes like this. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They saw Jesus, didn't know who he was. They talked with him, didn't recognize who he was. They sat down for a meal, and it was when they broke bread together was when they recognized Jesus. And I think there's something profound in that. They recognized Jesus when he broke bread with them. And I think in the same way, we can recognize Jesus when we come together around the Lord's table. We can recognize and remember, or uh, we can recognize and acknowledge what he did. So something that we're going to be doing this week, I think is we're really excited about. Today was supposed to be communion here at church. And as you can probably see, or maybe you didn't realize it already, we're not going to do communion today on a Sunday morning. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion in your small groups. And so all the more reason, if you're not part of one, this is an opportunity to do it. So again, come find me and we'll talk. So what you're going to do in your small group is you're going to have your normal discussion time, but somewhere through the course of your discussion, you're actually going to share in communion together. It's just a great example where you as a community, as a small group, can come together and you can remember what it is that God has done. (coughs) Excuse me. So we've talked about fellowship. We've talked about teaching. We've talked about breaking bread together. The last thing I want to talk to you about is prayer. Prayer. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, individual prayer can uh, have the tendency to focus inwards. When we just pray on our own, it's easy for us to kind of think about what it is that I need. But corporate prayer or group prayer or community prayer can teach us to look outward. It teaches us to look beyond ourselves. And it teaches us that no matter how we pray, whether individually or as a group, it reminds us that our heart needs to be in the right place. We can so often get caught up in ourselves and what we want for ourselves if we just pray on our own all the time. When we have the opportunity to pray together, that's where we can kind of think about beyond ourselves. We can think about each other's needs. We can pray about the things that are happening around us in our community or in our, in our country or even around the world. And when we pray, I think this is really important. When we pray, we need to expect that God is going to do great things and anticipate it. James chapter 5 at the end of verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Just like the previous verse, it says we need to believe that God is alive and at work. The thing is, sometimes we doubt God's ability or we are unsure of his will. We're not sure if it's God's will to answer prayer like this. And so what ends up happening is we either we doubt his ability, or we're not sure if this is what God wants, so we don't pray. But what's the problem of not praying? It's the only thing that happens where you... Actually, here, let me say it like this. Don't let the uncertainty of prayer stop you from praying. <coughs> I was thinking about uh, Alpha. Uh, one of my responsibilities at the church is running Alpha. And in winter, this was our, our winter course in January, we went through the course and towards the end of the, of the course, we do a, a topic on healing. And we talked about, you know, how God heals today and does he heal today. And it was a faith step. But at the end of that session, and it was a very much out of the comfort zone of a lot of people, but what we did was we took a moment to allow a, everyone to pray for one another. Thank you. That's very nice of you. Thank you. 
we took an opportunity to pray together and we prayed for healing for one another and the idea of praying i know is a scary notion and especially the idea of healing we're not sure you know what if i pray for someone for healing and they don't get healed what does that mean what if god doesn't answer our prayer well how often do we not pray because we're afraid of what it means if something doesn't happen let me say this then the only thing that is 100 percent sure is that god won't do anything if we don't pray that is the only thing we can say for sure so then what is the harm in trying to pray even if it works 10 percent of the time well that's 10 percent more because of you praying rather than not praying but here's the thing we need to go into it expecting god to answer us 100 percent of the time we learn not to pray because he doesn't answer us but we god always does answer that's the thing we just need to realize that he may not always answer the way that we expect him to maybe his answer is yes that's what we're hoping maybe it's no maybe it's not yet or just wait and that's what's important god will always answer we just need to be willing to think beyond our narrow focus of god i hope that you answer the way that i think think of it like a child asking something of their parent or of their teacher how many times has a child asked their parent for something if you were to give it every single time i mean oh my goodness god help us for the child that we raise and you know they just feel so entitled and and self-centered you know that's not the child we want we want children who are willing to understand that it's okay to say no that you know when they ask for that uh, bubble gum at this at the supermarket that they, when they throw a tantrum when they want that particular cereal and they don't get it it's okay because we as parents we as as adults we understand what is good for our children it's in the same way we can ask we can ask with the best of intentions but we got to trust god's will when we pray and when we pray we need to think of it like this mark chapter um, sorry matthew chapter 6 verse 10 says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven you may recognize that because these are the words that jesus was sharing when he was giving the disciples a model to pray so when we put god's will ahead of our own our own our whole perspective on prayer changes if we pray god's will what is it that comes after your will be done on earth as it is in heaven anybody know give us this day our daily bread right so let's think of it in that order god we want your will to be done before i think about my own needs and now that i've got god's will god's mindset god's perspective on my mind and on my heart now let me ask for the things that i need and when i do that all of a sudden the way i think about my own needs should be different now i'm thinking well okay what is it that god wants for my life what is it that he thinks that i need not just going off of what i think i need see our daily bread then takes on a whole new perspective in light of what god's will is and what needs to be done and when you think about god's will being done we can look at the world around us and it's clear to see that things are not perfect we wish things were different so what is it you're doing to pray to kind of see god intercede and and work in those situations and in those circumstances maybe it's something that's going on in your home maybe it's finances or employment uh maybe it's you know what's one of the things that's happened even re of late our government you know this was one of the most contentious canadian federal elections that we've been a part of and you know i'm not going to ask anyone uh to you know where your political aspirations lie it's not as simple as cut and dry as well you know certain you know groups are more christian than others you know 
but a lot of people were up in arms because the liberals came into power. And regardless of where you fall on that, you can feel one way or another. But even if you feel, oh my goodness, I can't believe these people are in power, what are you doing about it? If you feel that way, are you praying? Are you praying that God's will be done? Are you reminding yourself of Scripture that God is the one who has put leaders and authority over you and that you need to pray for them, you need to support them in what they do? Where is our heart? Where is our attitude in all that? So regardless of what happens in life around us, whether it's government, whether it's employment, finances, health, whatever it is, it doesn't change the attitude and the perspective that I need to bring to the table when I am coming up against life, whatever it may be. So to help us kind of tie this all in together, we're going to do something a little different today. Pastor Heather's going to come up now, and she's going to lead us in a song and kind of just play. As we're going to take now time together, as we've been talking about doing life together as a community, we're going to pray together as a community right now. So we're going to ask you to do is you're going to turn around in the chairs around you, and you're in the, for the next few minutes, you're just going to pray. You're going to pray together. And this is not just about your own needs, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to share those. You're not going to say it up front to myself. You're going to, if you feel comfortable, you can share it with the person around you. But let's be thinking about things beyond ourselves as well. Let's think about our government. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's thank God that in his sovereign will, he has placed people in authority over us. And he, God, knows what he's doing. Let's remember the persecuted church, for example. Let's think about these people around the world who are passionate for God, but live in fear for their lives. Let's be thankful that we can worship God in freedom like this. Let's be thankful for whatever it is that comes to mind. Let's think about the world around you. Let's see the things that we want to see God doing something in. And let us believe that God is able to intercede on our behalf. Let us believe that God is more than happy to do it if we are just willing to take the time to ask him. There are things that God would love to do if we just trusted him to do it. So this is your opportunity to do that. And this is our opportunity just to trust God. God, whatever your answer is, if it's yes, no, or I need you to wait, God, we're going to trust you through that because you know what you're doing. So in this moment, I want to encourage you. You're going to turn around. We're going to take a few minutes, and then Pastor Heather is going to close off in a word of prayer and with a song. Let's be praying together. Let's bring this community together right now in this moment as we turn our hearts towards God. take a moment to greet one another. You can say, hey, how's it going? Don't worry. It's okay to talk for a couple minutes, but share with one another what the needs are on your heart, the things that come to mind, and pray together. This is a wonderful opportunity where we just get to come together. We get to love on one another, to do community well together, to share with one another. I know that it's kind of scary. Maybe you're talking to someone right now that you've never met before, and we talked about being vulnerable and transparent. I'm not just asking you to share, you know, every single detail, but as far as you're willing to, to trust them, as far as you're willing to go, share. Be a part of one another's journey. Know that you're not alone. 